The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Carolus, and you are listening to Pod the Chat the Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you. Whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Howdy do and happy 2019 to you. It sure as hell has been a while since I've gotten to talk to you guys. <laughs> In fact, it kind of feels like it's been years. Uh, and I just feel like I have so much that I need to share with you guys. I was considering podcasting last week, but I got a really bad cold on the flight back from our trip uh, to Southeast Asia. And that was a along with an immediate return to a full workload pair the cold that workload and murderous jet lag uh it just meant that i could barely formulate a sentence or thought let alone an entire 30 minute sound bite for you guys so i'm sorry that it's been i guess it's been a complete month now that i i haven't podcasted which is crazy it's the longest i haven't podcasted since the inception of this podcast almost three years ago um yeah it felt really weird but have no fear. I am back. I am inspired and I'm ready to share everything with you guys. Life, dance, dance, life, all of the above. Uh, all right. So let's do some quick announcements before we get into the, the meat of this, this episode. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked about my schedule. So now that we are into the new year, my schedule has changed a bit at Broadway Dance Center. It is continuing to evolve into the new year. Um, and it's a good thing because I now only have one class a week in a small studio at Broadway Dance Center and all of my classes have been to, been moved to the two largest studios there. So 
that's a good thing. That means lots of people are showing up. It means my classes are becoming more popular. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that comes and supports me as a dance educator. Uh, all my, my listeners that come in and, and say hi, I appreciate that. So keep that up. Okay, so this is what my schedule is uh, as of now. So on Tuesdays, I still have my beginner ballet class at 10.30 a.m. Uh, and that will probably be changing at some point, but not in the near future. So 10.30 a.m. beginner ballet. Okay, then I have a new class at 4.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. That is my advanced beginner ballet class. Now, if you're wondering what an advanced beginner ballet class is, so am I. Um, we have some weird descriptions of classes here in New York City, um, and advanced beginner has become a common term used. Um, I think because for open class, a lot of people, uh, unless they're professionals, are kind of afraid of the level. So the more intermediate advanced you say, the less likely people to show up, and we get paid per head. So uh, people are less likely to hold those classes because they're not getting paid very much to teach. So advanced beginner is like a slow intermediate to an intermediate level class for me. Um, I often have people that are pre-professional in that, that level class. And I often also have professionals in that class that uh, don't want to take a really, really hard class. Maybe they're preparing for a show. Maybe they're getting back into shape um, after doing many, many, many weeks of shows and just trying to get back in the swing of things. So advanced beginner ballet on Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. is a new class. On Thursdays, I have my intermediate advanced class, which I teach more in an advanced level, like a company class. Um, so I have a lot of professionals in that class. That's at 4.30 p.m. on Thursdays. And then on Fridays, I have basic ballet at 7.30 p.m. And that is essentially an entry-level class. Um, we don't start from scratch. Uh, you should know basic terminology and steps, uh, but it's a very slow uh class to really fine-tune the very basic levels of uh, ballet. A lot of people get confused and uh, they come to basic ballet as their first class ever. Um, and I actually have that covered. So in uh, March and April on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m., I will be running an eight-week absolute beginner workshop at Broadway Dance Center. So if you've never taken a ballet class in your life or if you dance when you were younger, but it's been years since you've taken and you want to start back at the beginning, um, every week, 7.30 to 9 p.m., uh, a group of people that are 18 and over are, are going to be joining me to uh, start from scratch. What is first position? Uh, how do you hold your arms? Why do we do these things? Building your bar all the way up to center. So uh, there, are only, there are only 25 slots for that class. So if you're local to New York or if you just happen to be in town for eight weeks, um, go ahead and you can sign up for that at broadwaydancecenter.com. You can call them up and sign up through that or go to the front desk. Okay, so that is my current Broadway Dance Center schedule. Trying to think if there is anything else going on in the open class in New York. I think that's it. Other than that, I'm just preparing a lot of students for Youth America Grand Prix, and I am also dedicating 2019 to launching my own project. So putting that out there, I'll probably podcast about that at some point over the next uh, few months. Um, I'm kind of nervous to do it, and I feel like I've just like been delaying, and it's time that I do it. So I'm just going to jump off a cliff and hope that the parachute... <laughs> the parachute works when I pull the strings. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll be talking a lot about that in the future, so I'm not going to talk about that now. I'm wondering, is there anything else? 
Uh, oh, lastly, I'm starting to get some interest from summer uh, for, for summer teaching across the country. Um, so if you're interested in having me come out and teach at your summer intensives, whether it's a, a couple days, a week, a couple weeks, um, or if you're looking for choreography and ballet or contemporary or contemporary ballet um, or anything like that, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. I will tell you at the end of this podcast how you can contact me. But uh, a simple way to do it is just go to my website, www.barrycorliss.com. I'll give more information about that at the end, okay? When I get started on this podcast. Alrighty, so... If you are new to Pod of Chat or if you are a bit behind on episodes, uh, my husband and I took an incredible three-week trip to Southeast Asia over the holidays and New Year's. We started out in Hong Kong, and then we flew to Siem Reap, Cambodia. Then we spent the last half of our trip touring Phuket, spelled Phuket, but they say Phuket, uh, Chiang Mai, Bangkok, and Ayutthaya in Thailand. It was a generous belated wedding gift from one of our closest friends, and we are so overwhelmingly grateful to Abby for helping us do one of our favorite things, and that is to get to explore this world and to get to experience other cultures. I didn't get to travel internationally until I was in my 20s, and I didn't venture further than Mexico or Canada until I was, I think I was like 26 years old. Yeah, that was I, I. I went to Japan and Israel when I was twenty six. It was a good year for travel. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, I know so many families where people have kids and they take their kids internationally, and I just wish I had that opportunity. But not everybody has has access to that. I, I understand that trap because I didn't get to to travel as a child. That it is a great privilege. Uh, it's very expensive and not everybody can afford to do it. Not, not, not everybody can take time away from work to do it. People have kids. It's hard to travel with kids and all of the above. Uh, so I understand it is a great privilege, but I feel it is so important to travel internationally and to experience life through other people's norm. Uh, Sometimes it's thrilling and sometimes it ends in food poisoning <laughs> or other uh, other cultural discomforts. But there are so many ways to live life and it is so eye-opening uh, to see how other people live. And it's important to understand that there are, we in America have it great and even though people don't have the things that we have here uh not, not i mean not everybody has that that they can still be living in a great way um so yeah it's just it's very eye-opening um and one thing that i feel that people who get to travel internationally and learn is I, I feel like as people we tend to think especially as dancers actually like learning choreography and whatnot <laughs> uh, but we tend to think that things are very black and white that this is right and that is wrong and people should do this and they shouldn't do that but when you travel and you are dropped into another culture and if you truly experience the culture not like you go on a tour with like a bunch of people of your same country um but if you truly like experience the other culture you learn that there really in reality is no right or wrong i mean yeah we hope that people aren't going to murder um <laughs> but it's it's the idea that like 
every culture has a different idea of what is good and what's bad, what's acceptable, what's not. Um, and it's, it's just interesting to see that it's about how the masses of people uh, agree culturally to act and live. Uh, that in the end becomes what is appropriate for them. Um, and just because here in the U.S. we have certain ways that we act towards one another and uh like right now we're in a very pc age where everybody's trying to make sure they don't say anything incorrect in other countries <laughs> they have different situations where maybe some things that we moved on from in the 1940s are still active there but at the same time other countries are further ahead culturally and socially um than we are so yeah, it's just it's so important to travel internationally. And if you don't have the access or the ability to, um, I just strongly suggest to do some research and like watch YouTube videos of people traveling and read about what it's like in other countries because it's just very, very eye opening. As I said, you learn so much about yourself while you're traveling. Uh, so I decided for this episode to share with you what I learned and experienced throughout our three weeks abroad in Southeast Asia. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to talk to you about each place that we visited and I'm going to name some highlights and lowlights from each city because we definitely had like the full spectrum of experiences. Um, something I learned about myself and something I learned about the culture and something I plan on taking with me to use in my life or art. Hopefully by sharing what I learned and experienced, I can help educate you a little more about other cultures and uh, inspire you to look outside yourself and your community to expand your mind, your heart, and your art. All right, so on December 17th, Danya, Dan, and I, we, um, we embarked on a like 27-hour journey from JFK in New York. <laughs> we flew Aeroflot which was like essentially stepping on to, to like Russian ground in a small tube. Um, we flew, we flew to Moscow. We had a like five hour layover in Moscow and then we, uh, flew from Moscow to Hong Kong. Um, Aeroflot was uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> the food was not good. Um, but we got where we were going. Um, so I'm no major complaints there. It was a basic airline. Um, it was cool to actually sit down in Russia for a second because I, I feel, I mean, aside from the fact that like my ancestry is Russian, a, a lot of my ancestry is, uh, Russian and, uh, Eastern European like countries that used to be part of Russia, like Lithuania, um, but yeah, I, I wasn't thinking in the process of traveling that we would have any type of Russian experience. And granted, we were in the international terminal in Moscow. Um, there was still like an essence of Russia there, which was really cool. And having, aside from having a, as a part of my ancestry, uh, being trained by Russian teachers, uh, living in the Vaganova uh, training syllabus for a while, um, and just being in an art form that is so heavily Russian and so appreciated in Russia, it was cool to be there. And I really wanted to step outside of the airport, um, but that would have cost $300 and we would have probably left the airport for an hour. Um, so... Um, we we hung out in the, the airport in Moscow, and I really want to step off the plane. I can't wait for the day that I get to go to Russia. So, I mean, I'll get there at some point, but if you know anybody that, that wants some ballet and contemporary technique, <laughs> anybody in Russia listening, 
Uh, anyway, moving on. So, uh, joking, not joking. Um, okay, so we got to Hong Kong on December 19th. So we left on in the evening on the 17th, and we got there the morning of the 19th. Um, we actually adjusted pretty quickly. Uh, Hong Kong, to be completely honest, was one of my favorite places that we visited. Um, and it probably was that for a handful of reasons. For, for, for of reasons. Uh, first off, Hong Kong is very much a city with the vibrancy and energy of New York City. I am a city boy. I love big cities. I love skyscrapers. Um, so I just ate up the scenery there. The first day, like we landed, we got lunch and then we went to Hong Kong park and it was amazing to see this green luscious park with like a pond with turtles in it and trees. And, uh, then like right beyond the outskirts of the park, it wasn't a very large park, but right beyond the outskirts of the park, you just saw like high rises all around. It was crazy. Um, Beyond that, I lived in Seattle for seven years, and I lived in Alaska on and off for five years. Um, so I really also love uh, nature with like mountains and water and all that stuff. And the the amazing thing about Hong Kong is it's like the best of New York and like San Francisco. It's like Seattle and Alaska with high rises. Um, so there's like the, these rolling hills and then you have skyscrapers just built into the hills. It's amazing. So aside from my love of the landscape and architecture of, of Hong Kong, uh, the first night that we were in Hong Kong, we met up with an old friend that I trained with at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. And I hadn't seen her since we were at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. And she just showed us the ropes. The first night she took us to this uh, local restaurant, not like a, a foreigner's restaurant, like locals were there. It was like a cafeteria type restaurant, which was cool. And then the first day she just showed us around and took us touring around. It was really great. So there's nothing like starting an international vacation with comfort. A lot of times you just get plopped into a different culture, but it was nice to have somebody who was familiar, but also understood the culture and could sort of introduce us to that. Um, so I think that that really helped us uh, get comfortable on our trip in the city. It was a really good start. Um, so yeah, a highlight of going to Hong Kong, I would say, uh, I mean, there were many highlights in Hong Kong, but the number one highlight was getting to spend a lot of time with Hong Kong Ballet. Uh, I, I'm not going to give much information about this, but I, I'm writing a profile on the company. And for that reason, I got to spend a lot of time uh, watching the company perform, watching them in company class and talking to Septim Weber, who is now directing the, the company. He used to be the director of Washington Ballet and he took a short period off from directing and then went over there and uh, he's just doing so many exciting things out there and he was so welcoming and warm and excited about what's happening there it just made me excited um, so yeah that was that was definitely a, a highlight of our, our trip in Hong Kong um, now <laughs> I'm gonna it's funny because I'm gonna go like opposites now low light from our time in Hong Kong we didn't really have many low lights in Hong Kong Hong Kong was uh, one of our easier places to visit um there were two low lights I think that really happened in Hong Kong um one just kind of you know it just kind of was what it was and the other one was it was bad but it was a very valuable valuable experience that I will take with me forever so the first low light was um the first meal that we got, we asked our hotel, uh, 
where we should get lunch. We just wanted to get coffee and a sandwich. And they directed us this place called uh, Cafe Academic. Um, if you're ever in Hong Kong, don't go there. Um, for two avocado toasts and two lattes, we spent, this is without tip, we spent $47. <laughs> we, we were just hungry, we were tired, we needed food right then and there. We listened to what they said, we sat down, we ordered, and as we were ordering, I started, uh, I started doing the exchange rate. Um, and it was too late and we were just like, whatever, we're hungry, we'll eat. So that was a waste of money. Um, <laughs> and it was good, but it wasn't like worth $46. Um, but yeah, so that was shocking. And that kind of set the stage for how we, uh, treated money the rest of the trip. We were a little bit, uh, care- more careful about that. Um, but yeah, so I, the, I'd say the number one low light of that trip was shocking. So one of the last nights that we were there, the, the ballet master for Hong Kong Ballet took uh, Dan and me out to, for drinks uh, in uh, Lan Kwai Fuk. I think that's the name of the neighborhood. Crazy neighborhood. But so we, we went to a bar for a little bit and then we started walking to go to another bar because he wanted to show us around the scene. Um, and in the process, we were walking down one of the mountain like city alleyways like stairs between high high rise buildings and as we were walking down uh a couple of cops walked by us and he one asked me if I had a light and I said no I don't smoke and just not thinking of it continued walking and he stopped us and he goes do you smell something do you smell something and we were like what no we don't smell anything and one of the cops goes I, I think I smell marijuana and we were like, well, it's not us. And they were like, well, we smell it. So give us your passports. So they took our passports. They searched us. They went in our pockets. They patted us down. Um, and it was really stressful. And I didn't really understand what was going on until the ballet master, um, he mentioned to them that we were being racially profiled because there were actually, there were two people, uh, one guy with bare feet <laughs> smoking beside us on like on the stairs and one of the guys was from Hong Kong and they didn't even look at him and ask him even though they were the ones that were actually smoking so we essentially got racially profiled um and pulled over by the cops and un- unfairly treated um in the end we got our passports back and we got to go and it's a great story but um it it was a situation and and it was i don't know the thing though like after we left i it sounds weird but i was actually happy that i experienced that because being white in the united states you're much less likely to get pulled over for something frivolous like that that's obviously not true um and there are so many people of different cultures here in the United States, um, especially people, black people, people of African-American descent um, are often pulled over for the cop by the cops for no reason. Um, so it was interesting to not be the majority uh, race in Hong Kong and for two white people and a Latin guy to be walking down the street and for cops to accuse them of something when there was none of that happening anywhere around. Um, so yeah, that was definitely, it, it was a low light, but it was a very, I think a very important lesson to learn to know what it feels like to not be the majority, uh, in a country. And then to also, uh, know what, 
know that that type of thing isn't just happening in the United States. It's happening all around the world. Um, it must be, it's not just like our culture. I think it's like a human trait. So that was really, really fascinating. Um, so my, like I said, my highlight was Hong Kong Valley. My lowlights were paying too much for food and uh, getting racially profiled and uh, searched unfairly by by Hong Kong cops. Um, so yeah, I already told you something I learned about myself. I, I learned uh, what it's like to not be the majority, uh, what it's like to be racially profiled, and uh, it gives me perspective and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Empathy towards people in the United States that that's happened to. Um, something I learned about the culture there, the culture there is really fascinating because, uh, it's technically a part of China, but it was governed by the UK for a a long time. And then they handed it back over to China in the nineties. But because of that, they're democratic and China is communist and, uh, Hong Kong, uh, it's, so it because because of all of the differences, it's a what's it called? It's like a something. It's a S A R S A R. What does that stand for? Uh, you can correct me, but it's a something or other region. Uh, it's it's a separate. It's separate from China, but it's governed by China. Um, so autonomous region, something like that. But yeah, so because of that, the culture is like very mixed between like Chinese culture and British culture. Um, there's it's really easy to get by with English, though there are some people that don't speak any English whatsoever. Um, but yeah, so uh, the culture was just very fascinating. Um, and then something I plan on taking with me uh, to use in my life or art is just the story that I told you about what it feels like to be a minority. I'm already a minority in a sense. I'm Jewish. I'm a gay, a gay male. Um, so I, I'm an artist, all those things. So I, I know what it feels like to be a, somewhat of a minority, but to I can hide in the crowd where uh, being in Hong Kong, I couldn't. And that was definitely eye-opening for me. Okay, Siem Reap. So Siem Reap is in Cambodia. This is our second leg of our trip. We went to Siem Reap uh, to see the Angkor complex. So Angkor Wat, Angkor Tom. A lot of people think that Angkor Wat is like the entire area, but Angkor Wat is the temple. Angkor is a city that's right outside of Siem Reap, and it's an ancient city with, uh, I don't know, 92 temples, I think our tour guide told us. Um so yeah, uh, Cambodia was definitely interesting for us. Um, it's a third world country. Uh, it's not even considered a developing country. It's very poor. Um, and we, Dan and I have had experience going to a third world country before we went to Peru uh, in our last international trip. So we had some ideas of things that we would be in store for, like uh, when you go to the bathroom and when you wipe your bum, <laughs> you don't put it in the toilet, you have to put it in a little trash can on the side. Um, but uh, Siem Reap was probably one of the harder parts of our trip. Uh, I felt nauseous the entire time um, just because they don't have the same culture of like cleanliness that we do when it comes to like food preparation. Some of them don't even have access to certain sanitation uh, things. So uh, that was definitely a, th- a theme of our few days through the trip. Um, Highlights. So the highlights were definitely getting to see these ancient temples. Um, I mean, 
you've seen some of these temples like if you if you know anything of like the seven ancient wonders of the world i think it's ancient which ones is it the new or the ancient i don't know but um this is one of considered one of those wonders uh, beautiful temple some of them lay in ruins um so Angkor Wat is considered, I, I think, one of the wonders of the world. But uh, then you have uh, Taprum, which was the temple that was in the original Tomb Raider film. And there were like trees growing out of buildings and there are stones from the walls just laying all over the place. It's, it's interesting because they're finally starting to do some preservation efforts for these temples. But for quite a long time, um, people could just go into these temples and touch things and there, there was no work to preserve them. So they truly, many of them are truly in ruins. Um, and you don't get to see that as much now because there are efforts to really like get it to look like it used to get thing or get uh amazing places like Machu Picchu to try to preserve them as they used to be um but yeah it was just very fascinating um so getting to see that and experience that was definitely a highlight of our trip um this trip this version this part of our trip had a few lowlights um uh we were a little uncomfortable in our hotel room we thought that we were in a three-star hotel, but it was more like a Cambodian bed and breakfast. And the owner's father was there to help out and he was very helpful, but, uh, he would sit in the courtyard and our, all of the six rooms faced the courtyard. And if you had a question, he would just come up and tap on your, your door. So like privacy wasn't like as much as we would have liked. Also, we had a bit of an, a mosquito issue in our room. Um, but yeah, the low light of our trip was definitely, <laughs> Uh, Dan got food poisoning and, uh, unfortunately passed out, out right in front of one of the temples. And he's, he's taller than me. He's a bigger guy than me. So, um, in the process of hoping, trying to help him so that he wouldn't hurt himself. And when, when he was passing out, I caught him and I hurt my back. So, uh, I've been dealing with a bit of a back injury since the trip, but it's not awful, but, um, it's, it's there and it's affecting my ability to dance the way I want to. But, um, you know, I'll do anything to protect my husband. Um, <laughs> okay, so something I learned about myself uh, while we were in Cambodia. Um, I enjoyed touring the temples, but after a while I got a little bit uh, overwhelmed with it. I'm, It's like museums. I, I don't love museums. I don't hate museums. I'm usually fascinated at first, and but quickly my interest goes. Um I learned, I, so that's not something new I learned about myself. I would say one of the number one things that I learned about myself uh, while I was in Cambodia is how food affects me. And I'm not talking about like how like I eat it, my stomach hurts or it doesn't. Um, I was genuinely afraid to eat the food there. And even though I was picky with what I ate um, and we ate at more westernized restaurants, I usually love to eat local food when we travel. Um, but I was a little nervous and I wanted to be able to go to all the temples and not be sick. Um, I was pickier. Um, I was afraid to eat while I was in Cambodia. Um, and even with being that picky, I even got just mildly sick towards the end of our trip, our, our time in Cambodia. Um, and it's fascinating to learn how much you are affected by your ability to eat what you want and not like here in the U S I just walk around and I eat whatever, <laughs> whatever I want, wherever I want. Um, but in that 
country, like I was very particular about which restaurants we went in. I almost refused to eat vegetables unless they were very clearly cooked. Um, I wasn't as venturous. And if my stomach hurt, I could be moodier and it affected how I treated other people around me. Like I would get a little testy with Dan because my stomach hurt. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to talk about it cause my stomach hurt the whole time. So, um, yeah, I just learned that I'm very affected by food and the food that I put in my body and it, it's going to, uh, hopefully help me, uh, now that I'm back in the U S look at, look a little more at what I'm putting in my body. Um, something I learned about the culture, the culture there is really interesting. Uh, at first I felt like people were very aggressive. Um, everybody's coming up trying to hawk, you know, like they're hawking like birds, like circling around you trying to sell you something. Um, and everybody is trying to negotiate, uh, for tourists, they would put the prices. Like for instance, Dan got, uh, I think it was a Buddhist statue and it started at like $45. Cause they actually pay in us dollars in Cambodia. Um, they don't really use the real, their, uh, their currency. Um, but yeah, it started at $45. I think he talked it down to like $15. Like that's how far they're willing to negotiate. Um, but at the same time, I, I learned that it's one of the poorest countries in the world. There's so much corruption there and people are just trying to get by. So if they're trying to manipulate you, it's not necessarily because they're bad people. And of course, some of them might be bad people, but for the most part, it's survival. Um, and here in the U.S., like we have people, we have beggars and things like that, but we don't have really a negotiating culture. Like pretty much, you see the prices uh, for things that you're buying, and, and you just buy them. You don't ask. Um, but there, if they can get somebody who doesn't know like how poor they actually are to buy something for an extra five to twenty dollars, like that could make the difference between putting food on their table some nights or or not. So, um, at first I was kind of like, I can't believe they're trying to play me. But like, as we were with the tour guide and we were going into uh, more rural areas, uh, and meeting people, it became more clear that the culture was that way for survival. It's interesting to see how people alter their behaviors when it comes down to survival. Um, if anything ever happened here in the U S I don't know, like apocalyptic, um, it'll, everybody's going to go back to, <laughs> to, to, uh, more, uh, primal ways of doing things. So, uh, that was something I definitely learned about the culture. And then something I plan on taking with me to use in my life or art from Cambodia. Um, we, so like I said, I'm hoping, I'm not hoping I'm going to start a company in 2019 and w- we saw something artistic and dance related in every country that we went to in Hong Kong. We saw Hong Kong ballet, um, in Cambodia, we saw, uh, Khmer traditional dancing. Um, not gonna talk about Thailand yet. I'll get to that. Um, but, uh, it was really fascinating to see the show. I mean, the production value was low. Um, the dance was very stylized and it focused more on facial expression and hands and feet. Um, it wasn't as physical, uh, but it was just interesting to see like what it means to put on a production in a third world country and how people are putting art together uh, today that still is very tribal in a sense um, because the stories that they were telling were essentially like 
Cambodian Khmer, as they say, K-H-M-E-R, Khmer, that they say Khmer, um, essentially like Khmer uh, mythology. It was very, uh, very interesting. Uh, so yeah, I plan to just take into consideration like how they put in their productions where they get their inspiration and uh the most uh traditional art form it gives me more like idea of what traditional art forms are like and how they can be used to uh enhance the art that i'm going to be bringing to new york city uh the region and beyond Okay, so then we went to Thailand. From Cambodia, we went to Thailand. I was happy to get to Thailand. Um, I was very happy to see that Thai food in Thailand is like Thai food in America. It's not like Chinese food in America, where it's nothing like Chinese food in China. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, I made a really smart decision. I planned this. We went to Phuket like right in the middle of our trip and we stayed at like a four and a half star resort it was glorious we were in Koron beach in phuket and i made sure we were on a hill because i've watched too many tsunami documentaries um <laughs> and Koron beach was one of the first places that the boxer day tsunami struck back in 2006 i believe um so i wanted to feel safe so yeah we we went strong for like how long were we five nine i guess it was like nine ten days so phuket came like at the perfect time we were exhausted we were both feeling kind of nauseous and ill from our our time in uh siam reap and then we were at this beautiful resort on top of the hills overlooking the water and uh we spent the first day practically doing nothing we just relaxed we don't dan and i don't know how to do that and we actually did it it was i was very proud of us um so that was definitely a highlight. Another highlight was uh, the second day we uh, took a day tour through the Feng Nanabe, Peng Nanabe, um, which has like all of those beautiful islands and those limestone stacks, which are like little island mountains jutting into the out of the water um we like went in canoes and sea caves we walked through a sea cave and we saw mangrove forests we uh what else did we do we went to a floating village a muslim floating village in the middle of the sea um and then we uh went swimming and snorkeling um that, that was definitely a highlight of our trip uh, aside from relaxing and actually realizing like what it means to relax on vacation because Dan and I don't know how to do that. Um, so that was definitely a highlight. A low light, again, like kind of like Hong Kong where it kind of sucked, but it was a, a valuable experience. Um, so Dan and I don't really like to swim in the ocean. We don't like the idea of like things that we can't see swimming below us. Um, so we were like talking before we got off the boat towards the end of the day, like, oh, we're going to the swimming beach. Are we going to actually swim? And we like, we're kind of like egging each other on, but neither of us had made a decision whether we were going to go past our knees or not. So we like put our bathing suits on and we went up to our knees and I looked at Dan and I was like, so are we going to go out? And he just dove into the water and swam out. And he turned back to me because I had been jokingly saying, live your life. I say that a lot. And he just, he looks at me and goes, live your life. <laughs> so we ended up swimming and like having a blast. I didn't go past my chest, but Dan went like way out. So we did that for like a half hour, 45 minutes in this like beautiful, like crystal clear water. We got back on the boat and we went snorkeling uh, about a half hour away. Um, so we went snorkeling and we were like all in it. And 
Um, the last like five or 10 minutes, Dan wanted to go to the deeper area and I was like, okay. So I grabbed his ankle and he pulled me out and then, uh, I let go of his ankle and I started swimming towards him and I felt like I got whipped in the face with electricity. Um, so I like came out of the water quickly and then I tried to swim after Dan and then in my brain, I was like, whoa, something just happened. So I like turned around, I like gathered myself, I went back down, I swore I saw jellyfish and then I went to, the, I, I swam back to the shore and I went to our guide and I was like, I think I got stung in the face by a jellyfish. And she's like, oh my gosh, you did. And she, uh, <laughs> I asked her, I was like, are you going to have to pee on my face? Uh, <laughs> and we laughed and she put vinegar on my face. Um, but yeah, so I, Dan and I don't go swimming that often because we're afraid of things like jellyfish. And I got stung across my lip. Luckily, I had goggles on. Otherwise, it would have probably been worse. But just across my lip, a la Kim Kardashian. Um, and it swelled a bit and it stung for a few hours. Um, but yeah, one of my fears was getting stung by a jellyfish. It happened and it wasn't that bad. So you know what? I'll probably be more likely to go swimming in the sea or the ocean. Um in the future. So while it was low light, it really wasn't that low of a low light. So I can't really complain. Um, it was fascinating actually. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. Uh, something I learned about myself during our time in Phuket is that I really do need time to rest on vacation. Dan and I are culture junkies. Um, so I, we, we, it's not I, we, we always want to do everything that we can in the area and we don't get to travel internationally enough. Um, but we really, for two of the days, we were there for three days, two of the days we did nothing. Um, we sat on the beach, we went, we sat by the pool we went to the gym and worked out. We slept in, we took naps. It was spectacular. So, um, I learned that I need rest days on vacation. I can't just keep on going because vacation is supposed to be too like, pull yourself together after like a hard period of work. Um, so I'm hoping that I can add more of that into my life. Uh, I didn't really learn much about the culture there. I guess the thing that I learned about the culture in Phuket was that, uh, aside from the fact that we had a great resort and that we got to relax, um, I don't, we, we don't really like going internationally to places that are purely for tourists. Um, Phuket was completely for tourists. Nothing really felt legitimately Thai. So I was really glad that we got to, to go on to other cities after that. Um, and something I plan on taking with me to use in my life or art there was just the idea of like the beauty that is in that area. Uh, it was just, I mean, aside from this, the, the sea, like just the way that the, the water is juxtaposed by the land there. Um, it was just very fascinating for me and I'll always remember that. So I'll have to find a way to like incorporate that into something I do. <clears throat> All right. Chiang Mai. So Chiang Mai is in the far North of Thailand. We uh, spent three days there. We got there on New Year's Eve and we left on the 2nd of January. Um, Dan and I did something before and during Chiang Mai that we have never done. And it was definitely a highlight for us. I am so proud of us and I've always wanted to do this. And I just, I guess we're not the type of people that are really like make it happen, We, it, but it just happened. So um, when we boarded our flight from Phuket to Chiang Mai, um, 
we got in line to get on the plane and I asked the people in front of us, I said, uh, is this zone one or is this zone two? And they said zone two. And I was like, okay. And then like two minutes later, they were like, no, this is, uh, they went over the PA system. They were like, this is not zone one. This is zone one. So he, he looked at us and he's like, oh, sorry, we told you the wrong line. I was like, okay, it's okay. So we shifted the other line and they were going to get behind us. And I was like, no, you were in front of us, just get in front of us. So we chat a little bit more. And then when we sat on the plane, we realized we were sitting next to each other. Uh, lovely Indian couple uh, that lives in San Francisco. Uh, they were visiting from Mumbai. They were taking a, a couple days off from visiting their family in Mumbai um, and then heading back to San Francisco after the new year. Um, so we ended up chatting. Uh, the wife is a dancer and an artist and a singer and the and then also involved in tech and the husband is involved in tech. Um, so we chatted and then uh, we ended up down in the lug by the luggage together, uh, getting our luggage, and we said, "Hey, if you guys want to get together this evening for New Year's, because it was New Year's Eve, uh, just let us know." So we exchanged info, and I was like, "I wonder if this is going to happen." So went to our hotel. We toured around a few temples, um, and then um, sent them a message. And we ended up meeting up with them and spending like at counting down and in Chiang Mai, there's a lantern festival on new year's, um, by the East gate of the old city. Um, cause the a major part of the city used to be walled in and they consider that the downtown, um, I think the top gate is what it's called. Um, if my memory serves me correct. So, uh, starting at like eight o'clock at night, once the sun goes down, People set light lanterns and set them into the air. When Dan and I left our hotel room, you could see in the distance, it looked like a river of light up in the sky. And then when we got there, we met up with them and we were let, we were amongst the crowd lighting off these lanterns and it was magical. I know it's probably really bad for the environment, um, but it was very magical. It was quite amazing. Um, we... Uh, it was just something I'll, I'll never forget. And we made new friends. And then we uh, went away from the gate and had drinks and counted down and just got to know this couple. And it was it was just so nice. Um, we feel that when we travel, we tend to try not to uh, talk to or hang out with Americans because we're trying to like absorb as much of the other cultures as we can. Um, but I was really proud, proud of uh, Dan and myself for doing this and connecting with people. And I hope that we can continue this friendship now that we're both back in the United States, even though we live on opposite coasts. Um, so that was definitely a highlight. Another highlight uh, was we went to an elephant sanctuary <laughs> and we got to, uh, we got to, feed and play with and bathe elephants. It was cool. It was so, uh, my husband loves playing with animals and he turns into like the, a five-year-old version of himself. It's the cutest thing ever. So, uh, definitely another major highlight while we were in Chiang Mai. Um, we didn't really have too many major lowlights in Chiang Mai. We didn't love our hotel room. There was no hot water. Um, they don't tell you that when you book it, uh, no hot water in the sink. And then they had a hot water heater in the shower, but it never got fully hot. Um, I think that aside from Siem Reap, we were most uncomfortable in our hotel room in Chiang Mai. Um, but uh, other than that, we didn't have anything super major uh, going in Chiang Mai. Um, then, okay, so the last part of our trip, wow, this is a long podcast. Um, oh, Chiang Mai, something I 
learned about the culture. I'm like getting ahead about myself. Okay, something I learned about myself. Oh, there we go. Something I learned about the culture. These are just my notes to remind myself. Something I learned about myself in Chiang Mai was just that uh, I, 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 it's weird. I'm really social and I'm really outgoing and I can be also awkward at times and I tend not to reach out to people. I, I don't know why and I've been trying to figure this out about myself because I feel like I never ask for help. I never uh, engage with people until I feel like they want to engage with me. Um, and I wasn't like that when I was younger. This is something that developed what, as a freelance dancer because I was traveling so much and constantly entering new atmospheres and something that hasn't changed about me. Um, and I, I learned that the reason that I, I mean, this is me assessing it right now cause I haven't really thought about it, but I learned about myself that the reason I do that is because I'm afraid that I'm going to be rejected. Um, and I, one thing that seemed to be an overwhelming theme of my time in Asia was that I realized that I'm constantly worrying about what other people think. Um, and I need to do that less. And that was, that was really valuable for me to learn. Um, like for instance, when I'm jumping backwards, but like when we were in Hong Kong, um, I, I've I've met Septim Weber before. He's a, a lovely man. Um, but for some reason, like in my head, I was like, I'm gonna wait and see how he responds to me uh, for this interview before I really like push the agenda of like what I'd like to know from him. Like I want to get a feel of how he is uh, feeling to before I go forward with this. Um, and just seeing how warm he was and how natural he was as himself really inspired me. Um, especially as I start to go into this new endeavor as a director of my own company, um, to be less afraid of putting myself out there and my ideas out there. And if people like them, they like them. If they don't, they don't. And uh, to not be so concerned about how people are going to respond to me. So uh, this theme continued in Chiang Mai here. And I, I really learned that I just need to be myself and be unafraid to connect with other people. Um, so I got work to do. Um, that's something that I definitely learned about myself in Chiang Mai. Uh, something I learned about the culture there uh, Chiang Mai really surprised me culturally because uh, I expected it to be like extremely Thai and maybe a bit as uncomfortable as Siem Reap, but the culture there was more metropolitan than I expected. It's a smaller city, um, but uh, Thai culture is is closer to American culture um, in certain senses. Uh, I mean, it's not completely similar, but it's closer in certain senses than I expected. Um, so that was that. And then something I plan on taking with me to use in my life and art is just the, the visual and the experience of seeing something like those lanterns going off. It just gives me so many ideas of ways that I can, uh, utilize a scene designer or, uh, perhaps putting on installations because part of my uh my project uh, that i'm hoping to develop is to have performances and installation performances so it would be like the best of i don't know complexions contemporary ballet and uh the now defunct cedar lake contemporary ballet and to sort of like make a uh 
like a middle like version of those two companies. So uh, it would be amazing to find a way to to be inspired by the Lantern Festival um, and to use that in a performance setting. It would be really, really cool. Um, so yeah, that's Chiang Mai. I love Chiang Mai. Okay, then we went to Bangkok. Uh, and while we were in Bangkok, we spent a day in Ayutthaya, which is about an hour north of the city. Um, Bangkok was confusing for me. I really like Bangkok, but I couldn't get a sense of what the city was about. It's such a huge city. It's kind of like Los Angeles where everything is just like all over the place. And you think like you're in Santa Monica, but you're in the Pacific Palisades. And then you go to Hollywood and you realize it's actually a North Hollywood. And you go down this street and all of a sudden you're in a different neighborhood. But then you go down this street and the street goes nowhere. <coughs> Ooh, that's a lot to say. Give me a little cough. Um, but yeah, so Bangkok, I, I, I had trouble getting a feel for Bangkok. Um, but yeah, definitely the highlights of Bangkok were uh, massages almost every single day. Um, Dan and I also on our, our final night in Bangkok saw a ladyboy show. Um, they're called Kotoi. They're, they're transgender uh, dancers. Um, and it was fascinating. And this is a, something I learned about the culture. Uh, I'm putting that in here too, um, as a ha- part of our highlight. Um, the first day that Dan and I were there, we, we, our, our hotel wasn't far from, uh, Pat Pong, which is their red light district. And we were buying some gifts for some friends. And Dan asked where we could see a ladyboy show. And this guy seemed kind of like a macho, like, guy and like a good negotiator um and he was like oh they are beautiful you have to see them um it's just amazing what they've been able to do it was fascinating to see how transgender people are uh looked up to in thai society i know that that's a generalization i know that a lot of the lady boys struggled in their families but then once they got out um they were able to do something beautiful with what they with with uh the lives that they were meant to live um but it was fascinating to see how other people within their culture um appreciated and respected transgender people um and that was something that i i hope to explore further um i mean i hope to go back to thailand many times in my life um but yeah that was definitely a highlight seeing the lady boy show and again uh what am i planning on using and taking into my art uh dan and i saw a, another expression of art and it was it was fantastic and um the production quality was quite good but also there were other parts of the production quality that that wasn't as good and it was just interesting again to see how uh, an entertainment venue and a production was put on um and i i'm going to continue to gather as much information and uh use that to my benefit in my art um low lights in Bangkok were <laughs> we had a few Dan got scratched by a rat um we were he kept on wearing flip-flops and I asked him why because he like thought he felt a rat brush him or there were cockroaches crawling on the ground because it's a tropical city um and uh one of the last nights Dan was walking in flip-flops and a rat jumped from underneath a door to go into the sewer so it had to go over the sidewalk and it jumped off of Dan's foot and scratched him crazy right um another low light was uh dan and i always get in one big argument over food so like i said before like food affects me um we got in, in every 
international trip we've gone on. Dan and I don't fight very often. Um, and, but we always get in a big tiff about food. So we had unfortunately waited too long to eat. We were going to one temple, but the next temple was going to be closed. So we were like, okay, we'll skip lunch for now. We'll go to that temple. We'll go eat immediately after that. But we didn't realize that that temple was dropping us in Chinatown. And Dan's very weird with food. Um, so we couldn't find anything that he could eat there. And I thought we were going away from Chinatown, but we we're going deeper in. So finally, we gave up and uh i ended up i knew i was getting ripped off by a tuk-tuk like one of those little motorized uh taxis that are it's kind of like a bike and a wagon attached to it um so that was probably the low light just because it was a stressful moment but you know we have a good relationship <laughs> we worked through it quickly but we always get we we were, we were like waiting for it because it hadn't happened yet and it happened in bangkok so um, I mean, if you look at everything, like most of our lowlights were not that bad. Um, uh, some crazy things, Dan and I don't travel like tourists. We travel to travel and, um, we definitely experience what it means to travel. So, um, yeah, this was our crazy international trip. It was amazing. We, we got back on January, uh, 7th. I thought we were getting back on the 8th. So luckily I didn't schedule anything for the 8th because I thought we we're getting back at 730 uh, on the 8th, but we got back at 730 on the 7th. So we left, we went from, uh, Bangkok to South Korea and then South Korea to JFK. We left South Korea at 730 PM on Monday and we arrived at JFK at 730 PM on Monday. Um, I got a cold and horrible jet lag. So it was really hard to, to get myself together, but, um, we're back. And I'm back, and Padacha is back, and it's 2019, and I'm so excited about what this year is, has to offer. Um, I I hope that uh, you made it to the end of this, uh, and that you enjoyed me sharing. Uh, in the next few weeks, I hope to get back to more completely dance-related uh, topics. But as you know, like life influences dance, life influences art, and this was a major part of my life over the past few weeks, and it's new and exciting, and I can't wait to see how it influences me as a human being, as an artist, and I hope that I can continue to travel internationally and increase the frequency and maybe even bring my art form internationally. Um, it's just such a valuable tool. And I hope that you, uh, have, if you, if you haven't been traveling, maybe this will inspire you to start putting away $10 every week into an account to get, to get going. And if you can't even do that to at least go on YouTube and look at vlogs and, uh, different videos of, of international places and start educating yourself beyond your local community, regional community, national community. Okay. So this has been a long episode. I'm not going to do a long outro. I think that we pretty much should end it right about here, but just again, happy new year. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season and I hope that everything is off to a great start. And um, we're going to call it quits there. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pata Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. 
And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have archived Life of a Freelance Dancer, which can be found at lifeoffreelancedancer.blogspot.com. And I wrote on there for five years about working as an independent contractor and a freelance artist around the nation. I also have Dancing Offstage, which is at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And that talks about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel if you are curious about my choreography, and you can find that by going on youtube.com, going to the search bar, and typing in B Corollas. That's B, my first letter of my first name, and Corollas, my last name. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chats. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. Oh, that's not next Friday. I hope you return two weeks from Friday. I need to update that to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.